The following is a hoop ball presentation. Oh, you know on Twitter when they say this league, in reference to the NBA hashtag this league, you take one day, you take two days off, right? Just just working, trying to get through life and. You know, all sorts of extracurricular life activities. And the NBA just does so much. They catch you sleeping. They really do. And and here we are. <laughs> we have a show ahead of us, y'all. This is NBA Today, Hoop Ball Presentation. I am your host, Corbin Ford. Check me out at CorbinNBA on Twitter. Appreciate y'all fine, cool folks for doing so. Make sure to check out Hoop Ball, as I always say. On Twitter, at HoopBallTweets, they are active, they are there all the time. Your NBA, fantasy analysis, betting, they do it all. Check them out. Also online, Hoop-Ball.com. Y'all, ladies, gentlemen, we have a show today. Today is Tuesday, the 29th of September, a year that is flying by ever so quickly, and thankfully so, because uh, this has been an insane time. But even in the NBA, we've had coaching news, we've had, you know, law issues, we've had two teams advance to the NBA Finals. Yes, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat. We're going to talk about them, we're going to cover the news, we got ourselves a show, let's get to it. But before we do, maybe I'm burying the lead here, but we got to pay some bills. Hoop Ball produces a ton of fine programs, but we cannot do it without the help of our sponsors, or we could do it without the help of our sponsors, but then we wouldn't have a long-running show for that long a time. You get what I mean? Anyways, let's talk about our proud partners, first of which is my bookie. We are in the NBA Finals, y'all. We have football going on. At the time I'm recording this, the Ravens and the Chiefs are just in a dogfight in a Monday night football game that I am upset had an intro by Samuel Jackson and a very, very strange resemblance to the Marvel opening sequence for any of their movies. I get it. Disney owns Marvel. Disney owns ESPN. There's no need to, to, to mix those two for a Monday Night Football game and not... Uh, I'm going on a tangent. Let's talk about my book because right now, with basketball going on, with baseball in the postseason, the WNBA in the postseason, football going on, there's never been a better time to use my bookie. There just hasn't. Smart bettors are always looking for the future. The future is now. In this case, like I mentioned, basketball, football, hockey's gone, but when they're back, my book is accepting future bets and all that. There's never been a better time to start exploring the worlds of online sports betting. There really hasn't. You have everything going on at one time. Like, think about that for a second. All right, no more thinking about it. Join today and my book, you'll match your deposit 100%. Plus, they will toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. As in future because the postseason, right? So you better do that now. All you got to do is enter promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L when signing up. HOOPBALL together when signing up. Remember, at my book, the terms are real simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Secondly, support for HOOPBALL is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. I have stories about grooming experiences going wrong, down under. I will not share them. NBA Today is a podcast of positivity and light for all of my loyal, loving fans and myself to keep that energy moving. And, you know, these horrible manscaping injuries and just general unpleasantness is just not becoming of NBA Today. Therefore, I'll skip that. But you can imagine. I'm sure you've had the same issues, too. I'm sure you're just as embarrassed and or shamed as I am. And guess what? Manscaped has thought about this as well. It's probably happened to them, too. That's why they have redesigned 
the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. That's right, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. When I tell y'all this is premium, I mean it. It is premium. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. And guess what? It's not just that. They have water-resistant technology that allows you to groom in the shower. And they got a really cool feature in an LED light, which illuminates those grooming areas for a close and more precise trimming. You can actually see what you're doing. I'm telling you, I, 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 it's revolutionary because I've just gone in blind sometimes, just saying. It's not the best idea, but whatever. Anyway, they've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with the quiet stroke technology. And... Let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. So if you listen to me right now, and you are because NBA Today, duh, I want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20. Same as with I did my bookie, but 2-0 at the end of that. HOOPBALL20. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off. And free shipping with the code HoopBall20, HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. Check it out. 20% off free shipping. You can't beat that. HoopBall20, Manscaped.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here. The NBA Finals start tomorrow. Yep, that's Wednesday. And you have the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat in a finals matchup that quite literally no one predicted, or, or at the very least, very, very, very few people predicted. You'd have to first get over the giant lesion of fans that thought the Clippers would make it, and now the Lakers on the West. Then you have to look on the East side and imagine that the Bucks, by any stretch of the imagination, did not make it. And I will tell you, there are very, very few people who did not see the Milwaukee Bucks coming out the East, and those who did, I'm willing to bet they did not see the Miami Heat making it. But here we are. The Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers each went 12-3 and in the playoffs to get to where they are right now. The Lakers dispatched each team, the Portland Trailblazers, the Houston Rockets, and the Denver Nuggets, in a series of gentlemen sweeps. That's four wins to one loss each time. The Miami Heat swept the Pacers 4-0, gave one game to the Milwaukee Bucks 4-1, and then gave two games to the Boston Celtics 4-2 to get to where they are now. The storyline's essentially write themselves. LeBron James making it to his 10th NBA Finals, attempting to win against a team which brought him, or which he brought, his first two NBA championships to his ledger. The Miami Heat, having remade their roster the first time they've been in the playoffs in a year, they missed the playoffs entirely, alongside the Lakers, I might add, last season, but it's also the first time they've made it to the NBA Finals since, you guessed it, LeBron left. Uh, they've remade their roster completely. Their total essence is all about heat culture, led by Jimmy Butler, one of the more uh, understated, uh, unusual superstars in that he doesn't completely dominate a game like you would imagine when you think of your LeBron James, your Kawhi Leonard, your Giannis Antetokounmpo's, but he does it in a different way, and that's through the team basketball. They're, they're a team that's more of the sum of their parts. You have Bam Adebayo, who went from a really, really solid piece entering the season into a top 15 player now. You have sharpshooters like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who just completely turned themselves, in, uh, Tyler Hero especially, into a shot-making weapon. 
Goran Dragic, I've talked about him a few times already, but he's been dipped in the fountain of youth, and he's someone who is just a beast at 34, getting to the lane, making plays, shooting the long ball, doing everything there. Jay Crowder has been rugged and, and great defensively, even if his three-point shooting has gone off a cliff uh, recently. Andre Godala, 36-year-old, yes, the old vet, playing well, playing minutes from Miami, and, and against all odds, they have made it here through a dominant style of play. Dominant. They're soaring right now. The confidence and swagger of these young guys is really what helped make them where they are. But with the Lakers, I mean, think about it. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They bring a pair of all-NBA first-team members to the table at all times on this one. While Miami, I mean, they haven't even had anyone on the level since. Again, you guessed it, LeBron left six summers ago. So this is this is a crazy one. Right now, uh, this is going to be somewhat of an of a unorthodox finals preview. I'm just kind of going basically backcourt, frontcourt, coaching intangibles, right? So, if we're looking at the backcourt, Goran Dragic uh, for sure is one of the main guys I'm looking at uh, to play. And then alongside of that, usually you get, you know, Jimmy Butler. It's really just Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson right now in in, in the starting lineup backcourt for the Miami Heat. And then for the Lakers, it's some combination of KCP and Danny Green. Uh, LeBron James plays there as well, but KCP and Danny Green take up a lot of that. And it's an unorthodox lineup because for the Lakers, LeBron James is really the point guard. You know, even if he's slotted at small, small forward, you know he's playing the point guard position. But backcourt wise, if we're going by just the straight definition, it's Case Contavious Caldwell Pope and Danny Green versus Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson. And right now, you have to give it to the Miami Heat. Goran Dragic has played amazing. I cannot understate enough just how well he has played. I mean, for goodness sakes, Dragic is leading the Miami Heat in scoring this postseason. Granted, by only a couple of percentage points, but still. 20.9 points per game, 4 rebounds, and just over 4 um, assists per game. Shooting uh, just great. Effective field goal percentage 52%, 36% from 3 on just under 7 attempts a night. Getting to the lane, showing his craftiness. I mean, the guy is playing amazing, and he's not the only one. Tyler Hero, 16 points a game. 37% shooting from three, also at six plus from three-point land. Jay Crowder slumped um, just in a massive way shooting three, but right now at least 34% on eight attempts, even though he's had a horrific Eastern Conference Finals against the Boston Celtics, at least shooting the ball. 12 points, five rebounds, two assists, excuse me there. Soda, man, I'm telling you, craziness. Duncan Robinson, he's been held in check at certain points, but he's still a dangerous three-point shooter, averaging double figures at 11 points per game, shooting the three-ball at a 40% clip on seven attempts a night. It's crazy. Bam Adebayo has been the star alongside Jimmy Butler, though. And we have to get some light to Bam Adebayo, who has been a defensive nightmare, someone who can initiate the offense, either bringing the ball up, uh, just busting past defenses, too big, too athletic of a matchup, too creative with ball handling ability, someone who can't really shoot the ball that much but can stretch it out enough and can become an offensive threat. I mean, he had 30-plus in the clinching game five or game six for the Heat to beat the Celtics, and in the fourth quarter just literally took over down the stretch in a way that you see few big men take over. And, and he's been great. Again, the dude's 22-23 playing amazing 18.5 points 11 rebounds five assists a night that's crazy from someone who's developed so fast and become almost a, a fulcrum point for the heat uh, a, a guy that they play through alongside jimmy butler who has been solid 20 points five rebounds four assists a night getting to the lane picking his spots not someone who's gonna bust out and and give you 35 a night i mean like i said he's giving you 20 so you know he's had games where he'll 
give you 25, 30 big ones. He's had a game where he dropped a 40 burger. He's had other games where he'll give you 15, 17. You know, he picks a spot. In some ways, at least through the postseason, that's been talked about. Why does he take over down the stretch? That's not his game. He lets the game come to him. He plays within the team. He's given confidence to Duncan Robinson, to Tyler Hero, and, and that's important. But I, I ran down all of that just start, starting with Dragic, so I have to go back to that. For the Lakers, I will say this. Contavious Caldwell-Pope has been solid. He has. And throughout the, the postseason as well, someone who, 42% from three, five attempts a night, nine points, uh, just under two rebounds, just over an assist a game. He's not someone who's collecting a lot of stats for you. He'll get to double figures every once in a while. He's someone who's going to play good defense, space the floor, and that's what he brings. And, and that's solid enough. He knows his role. He does it well. Uh, you know, he's under kind of undersized for, for other defensive matchups, and sometimes he'd like the three ball to go down a lot more. But he's been the best shooter for the Lakers consistently. I'm not saying a lot because – Three-point shooting for the Lakers has been a nightmare in the bubble, and they weren't the best three-point shooting team even before that. And that brings to Danny Green, who statistically, by all accounts, is historically should be the best three-point shooter uh, for the Lakers just in general. And he's been in a massive slump just throughout. Now, his three-point shooting numbers on its own won't tell you that. 36%, he's making just under two threes a night. He's taking just over five of them, eight points three rebounds, one assist. He's been a lot more aggressive lately in the last series, especially against Denver. In the last couple of series, he's been more aggressive, but he's not been able to knock down a three ball as consistently as you'd like. And that's been a big part of why the Lakers have been cold. And, you know, he's brought in specifically to bring that floor spacing, of course, that veteran leadership, but one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. And as of the bubble, he has most assuredly not been. But the X factor for the Lakers in the backcourt really comes off from their bench. And that's between two people. One being Alex Caruso, the other being Rajon Rondo. Alex Caruso has been a hit or miss from shooting. 24% from three, not very good there. Six points, uh, two rebounds, three assists. On its head, it doesn't look very good. But defensively, scraps, his athleticism, his grit, his intangibles in that way help the Lakers so much come off the bench. Another versatile defender. If his shot does come, that only makes him a bonus. And he's someone who the, the Heat will, will definitely see a lot of because he's someone that can play on the floor. You know, just in general, athletic, athletic ability, um, willingness to put his body on the line able to make smart plays, his, his just in-sync tandem basketball IQ ESP with LeBron James is a big reason why he's able to mesh so well, but he, he's a grinder, he's someone who who plays really, really hard, and yes, Laker faithful have made him into somewhat of a, a legend, you know, Alex Caruso better than, you know, insert Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, any of those guards, he's not, that's a joke, but you get what I mean, and he's earned a lot of that, Rajon Rondo though, playoff Rondo, I've said it along. He has been a thing, and he is. Rondo, for this for the for the playoffs at least, nine points, seven assists, three rebounds a night, shooting the three ball at a 44% clip, taking it on a decent amount of volume too, 50% from the field. Someone who comes in, a master ball hawk, someone with an IQ just like LeBron James on the floor. Someone who's going to be able to pick apart the zone defense of the Miami Heat just with superior passing, knowing when to penetrate, knowing who the, the, the man is at the nail and, and where to pick apart the soft spots in the defense. He's going to be someone that is going to be able to do that. And he's been playing so well in the playoffs since he's been coming in. Remember, he was out with that hand injury for most of the bubble experience. And then when he came back, he had uh, some back tightness in the first couple of games that was limiting him. He was out for the first couple of games and he was limited in his first game back. But he has just exploded out the gate and been someone who's consistent for the Lakers who is just as locked in on securing the Lakers' 17th championship. And a little piece of trivia there. 
for Rajon Rondo, he'll be the first player to win a championship with both the Lakers and the Celtics if he wins one here with the Lakers. Remember, he won one with the Celtics way back in the day in 2008. So that's crazy. With that, Rondo seems almost to be the swing factor for me because he's played literally so well. But when you bring up the Miami Heat, you bring up Goran Dragic, you bring up Duncan Robinson, you bring up Tyler Hero, who's been a flamethrower off the bench, I can't see how I would not give it to the Heat. So I will. Advantage Miami Heat. They just they just got to get it. Now, the front court's interesting. It's really uh, two forwards, uh, and it's it's interesting in this way. Jimmy Butler versus LeBron James. That That's it. Jimmy Butler, LeBron James. But but here's here's the kicker. Bam Adebayo plays the five for Miami for most parts, right? They start Dragic and, and Robinson. You have Jimmy Butler or Dragic and Butler, Robinson. Butler plays a two. He's also a three. I don't get it. Dragic, Butler, Robinson. Then you have Jay Crowder playing the four and Adebayo playing the five. So I'm comparing the front court and I'm throwing him in there because it's not guards, forward, centers because that's interesting. So for Miami... We're talking Crowder, we're talking uh, Adebayo, and then for the Lakers, we're talking LeBron James, Anthony Davis, but we got to bring in the threes too. So since I already mentioned Duncan Robinson as a two, I'm putting in Jimmy Butler, obviously, as a three, and then I'm bringing in for the Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and whichever big they use, and that's interesting because over the playoffs so far, Coach Vogel has been very, let's just say, loose with how he adjusts the roster as far as the starting five. So in the first round, against the Portland Trailblazers. He played JaVale McGee. Straight up, it was no issue. Then playing the small-sized pocket Rockets, the Houston Rockets, Vogel put Markeith Morris alongside Anthony Davis for a small, still big, but smaller front court. And then to get bigger size-wise with the Denver Nuggets, Vogel played uh, Dwight Howard heavy minutes and basically had Dwight Howard not only start for McGee, but also take McGee's minutes to match up better with uh, Nikola Jokic, especially once he proved that he was a, a decent deterrent for him. So that was what was done there. And Dwight Howard played well there. So we actually have no idea what Vogel will do in this case. I mean, we have an idea. For one, if Adebayo's playing, then you can still go big. So whether that means Vogel decides to go with McGee at the 5 alongside AD, or whether he decides to go with Dwight Howard there, which is a matchup I think he would try, because Dwight Howard has enough bulk to bang around with Adebayo, but is also someone who is, you know, even at 34, light of feet, or someone who can kind of stay with him enough in spots uh, when AD's not guarding him, or whatever the case may be, so that's something that's interesting, and that's really the, the, the most interesting nugget there for the Lakers, is what they do with the center rotation, because for the Heat, it's Adebayo, for the most part, they've gone small in certain occasions, and actually had Andre Godal at the 5, and, and you know, that small ball lineups, you can have Derrick Jones Jr. come off the bench, uh, Myers Leonard has kind of been glued to the bench for a bit, but Kelly Olynyk has gotten some playing time, and he's someone who can stretch the floor at the 5 a little bit as well, so they might have other options, but they're not as big as the Lakers, and I think that's where the front court has an advantage, just from the sheer size and how that impacts itself on rebounding, specifically second chance points on on the offensive end for the Lakers, and, and how that can batter the Miami Heat down, because they don't play Olenek that many minutes alongside Adebayo, Adebayo can oftentimes be the only big, Jay Crowder is someone who can rebound well, but you know he can be easily overwhelmed by someone like a Dwight Howard, or, or a McGee, or a Markeith Morris, or, or you know of course an AD, any of that is possible, so that is interesting, so that's the bigs right there, looking at the stars, obviously, Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, now, last time Jimmy Butler played LeBron James was five years ago, 
a lot has changed back then. LeBron James was 30, Jimmy Butler was 25. Now LeBron James is 35, Jimmy Butler is 31. It's it's a different time. The way that they played was different. It was the it was the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavs. You know, Jimmy Butler definitely had a a bigger role for the Bulls, but he was not the guy. He was still kind of taking lightly some of that control from Derrick Rose, who was still the the star in Chicago, still the chosen one then. Now this is undisputably Jimmy's team, even if the Heat do not play specifically that way. But if I'm comparing Jimmy Butler and LeBron James man to man at this stage right now, just as I would back then. Jim Butler is very good. Top 15 player. Solid. Can take over games, you know, just defensively. Uh, someone who who can make clutch shots. May not be the best shooter percentage-wise, but can definitely get up there and knock them down and take them when they're needed. Someone who knows when to, t- t- to kind of take over a little bit of control and is at most more selfless and able to concede some of that. But everything I just mentioned as strength for Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, in my opinion, supersedes that. Takes that to the extreme. In terms of complete mastery of the game, in terms of just taking over down the stretch, we saw what he did in the fourth quarter of game five against the Denver Nuggets. We've seen LeBron go off. We've seen the way he's able to shoot and when he needs to. His shot has also been hit or miss down the stretch this postseason and really the season in general, but able to get to the line, not be able to be stopped. I give the advantage to LeBron over Jimmy Butler. I do. Now, what the Heat have that's interesting to, to, to watch James is that between Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, and Andre Godala, you have a stable of forwards who can, I wouldn't say stop LeBron. I think that's not going to happen. But they can slow him down, or at least that's the theory. Iguodala won at Finals MVP in, in 2015 for, quote-unquote, slowing LeBron down, even though LeBron still went off. But just by keeping him in check enough for the Warriors to do what they did, gave Iguodala the MVP. So the record speaks for itself just in terms of Iguodala's pressure. But we just don't know if that's something he can still do. Yes, his acumen is there. And yes, he's only a year older than LeBron. But athletically, I'd still give it to LeBron, even though Iguodala still can have the ups and and the stamina. Now, Jay Crowder is someone who, again, you can put in front of LeBron, who will compete his butt off, who, who will defend and work. And we've seen, you know, LeBron have experience with him, playing with him as a member of the Cavs before getting traded away, and then seeing him play, defending him with the Boston Celtics before. But if you also look at the outcomes there, um, yeah, we're just not going to say that actually did anything to stop LeBron. And then, of course, you have Jimmy, um, not Jimmy Butler, but you have Jimmy Butler who would primarily get the responsibility. I don't think any of them are going to stop LeBron from doing what he needs to do, but they in conjunction can collectively slow him down or attempt to keep him in check somewhat. And maybe that's what they need. I'm not completely sold on that. I would have been a lot more concerned with the Clippers. Although having lesser wing defenders, I I would still give the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Marcus Morris a better chance than I give the Heat with Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Andre Godala. That's just my thoughts. But this is where it all comes down to. Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo, and this is why. Because are you going to put Bam Adebayo and Anthony Davis straight up? Are you going to try to put Bam Adebayo and LeBron at times? Because Anthony Davis can probably take over on Le- on, on Bam Adebayo. If Bam Adebayo has the length, he has the quickness to to attempt to neutralize AD, but AD is, is, is that zone breaker. He's the secret weapon. He's the X factor on a star level that can bust through all of it. He can bang inside. He can shoot from the mid-range to three-point land. He can initiate the offense. I mean... Bam Adebayo's been great, but AD right now is a little bit more, pretty much all faucets of that. I'd say I'd give more of the playmaking to Bam Adebayo, and, you know, he has moments where he's just, it feels more dominant, but we've seen AD go off, especially in this postseason, and that's going to create interesting matchups for the Heat, and it's how they defend them, because Jay Crowder on AD is not something I would do. 
Jimmy Butler on AD, you can try. Same with Andre Godala, but that wouldn't work. Bam Adebayo on him is probably your best option, but will AD attempt to drive to the basket and start to get Bam Adebayo in foul trouble? Is that something that can happen? Because that's definitely a possibility. I, I don't quite see them playing each other to a draw because I see AD as just a little bit better. Maybe two or three hairs better than Bam Adebayo at this moment. So the front court's going to switch a lot because you're going to have multiple looks for LeBron, multiple bodies. Of course, foul trouble and issues like that will get in the way matchups and switches in the zone and everything going on there but Anthony Davis is really why I'm going to push the advantage into the Lakers favor because I think he's the one person that it is going to be incredibly hard to scheme against incredibly hard to neutralize to take him out of the game because of everything that he brings to the table now you have a very very good start if you're Miami with Bam Adebayo but after that the pickings are very slim I would shudder to see Kelly Olenek matching up with Anthony Davis and it's probably going to have him for select minutes I would shudder to see that I know that Eric Spolcher is going to definitely cook up a plan. I know he's going to try every alternative. You will see Godala on him. You'll probably see Crowder on him. Davis, I'm talking about. You'll definitely see Bam, probably Jimmy Butler at times. And just like you'll see different looks on LeBron. And where LeBron plays on defense will be interesting. Does he guard Adebayo? Because he can do that. Does he guard Crowder as someone to kind of conserve his offensive energy? Does the do the Heat attempt to put Crowder in screen action and make him, you know, force LeBron to play more pressure and switching on somebody else? You know, LeBron is one of the all-time great roamers, so maybe that works to his advantage. There's a whole lot of chess that can be played between these two teams, and you can undoubtedly expect that to happen. And that brings us to coaching. With Frank Vogel and Eric Spolstra, we've seen them match up many times. Remember the Eastern Conference back in the day, 2012, 2013, 2014, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers. We saw how that happened. Now, the, the difference besides, you know, the Pacers going down to Miami is that Craig Vogel, in a weird turn of events, has LeBron James now. Although LeBron is older, he's obviously added elements to his game just in terms of having that basketball IQ at an all-time high just based on all the experience he had. Remember, this is before he ran to the Golden State Warriors year after year after year. So it's definitely going to be something different. However, if there's a player, if there's a coach, I mean, that can attempt to neutralize LeBron James other than Ron Adams, you know, the Warriors defensive coach, I would imagine that would be Eric Spolstra because the man coached him for four years and would know some of his strengths and weaknesses. Now, my only rebuttal to that is thinking that LeBron James has only grown in those respects as far as basketball IQ. And the same game plan that you would use to stop LeBron in the past would probably be what you do now, which is attempt to keep him out the lane, easier said than done, force him to be more of a jump shooter, and try to uh, uh, attempt to, to limit the uh, amount of offensive impact that he has. Because you're not going to stop him, that's impossible, but to attempt to mitigate that and keep that in check and force you know, some of the other Lakers role players to step up and you know make shots, that's going to be something that Eric Spolster will immediately do. Force Danny Green, force KCP, force Kyle Kuzma, who I haven't even gotten to yet. That's more of the the X Factor issue there to step up and make big plays and, and to make big shots to for the Lakers. And LeBron's going to need that anyway because he'll definitely get his points, his rebounds, his assists. You can't stop LeBron, but it will be a heck of a lot easier if his teammates are making outside jump shots. That forces the zone to stretch out. If it's man to man, that makes more spacing. That's able to put LeBron in places where he can put maximum pressure on the defense, whether that's on him alone or the threat of the lob over the top to Davis, McGee, or, or Dwight Howard. However the case may be, by him having that gravity created by the shooting accuracy of the Lakers shooters, that can then make it easier for LeBron and, by extension, Anthony Davis to kind of counteract Miami's defense. So I'm kind of working through what I think both coaches are going through because we know that Eric, uh, Frank Vogel defensively is, is a savant there. Eric Spolstra, one of the great and long-tenured NBA coaches in general of our time, but in general. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, how the series progresses from game to game. 
what adjustments are being made from one game, from one quarter, from one minute to the next on both sides. And I almost feel like I want to call this a draw. I'm going to give it... No, I'm going to call it a draw. I will. Because I'm going to give it to Eric Spolster because he just thoroughly coached every coach that he played you know, in the Eastern Conference. But on the one hand, Nate McMillan was slow to make adjustments. On the other hand, um, I mean, Mike Budenholzer, we've talked about him. He's just a, a stubborn coach with a philosophy that was rather flawed. And then Brad Stevens, I'll give Spolster that because Stevens was totally flummoxed at several points in the series. But hurrah. You know what I mean? On the Lakers side, I mean, you have Frank Vogel making adjustments against Portland, Houston, and Denver. Mike Malone was a challenge. You know, Mike D'Antoni's going to do what he does. You know, Terry Stotts is a very solid coach. I don't even think it's a matter of matching up against the coaches that he did for Frank Vogel. It's just the adjustments that he made within. And for the Portland Trailblazers, that was just straight up, you know, to bail, to just go to town on Damian Lillard, take him out of the game, force Portland's other players to match up. For the Rockets, go small, beat them with a smaller, more flexible lineup. For the Nuggets, go big, you know, focus on Jokic. You found a deterrent there, you know, put pressure on Murray and ride LeBron and AD. And I think that Vogel pushing the right buttons. He may not be someone who's meddling and making all these just straight, sneaky, um, convoluted, uh, complex coaching philosophy schemes, but I don't think you need to do that sometimes. Sometimes you know where the right hot hand is, you go with that. You know what move to make, you do that. Sometimes doing the obvious is okay, and that's why I'm going to call this a tie because both coaches are very good. Both coaches have done well to lead the teams where they are this, this season, and, and that's why they're here. So I'm going to do that. And now we get to the X factor. Now, I feel there's a few X factors for both teams. One, the bench. Uh, coming off the bench for Miami, their main guy at least, Tyler Hero, what does he do? You know, is he? he's a 20-year-old kid who just absolutely torched the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Does he bring that same heat for the Miami Heat? <laughs> Does he bring that same heat against the Lakers? That's something that remains to be seen. For the Lakers, you're looking at Kyle Kuzma, who was thoroughly outplayed by Michael Porter Jr., has had a rather uneven postseason. Uh, remember, for someone talked about as, as being a potential third guy behind LeBron and AD, um, that hasn't happened for Kuzma. He's one of the cast, just one of the boys, you know, one of the guys, and that's fine. But, like, for all the, the talk that came with that, you know, just, let's just, ladies and gentlemen, just let's know. Just flashing a little bit of on-ball offensive creation every now and then does not a third star make. <laughs> it just doesn't. So we'll have to see whether Kuzma can play more like he was thought to have been at the beginning of the year, whether he can just overperform, if he can even bring some Michael Porter Jr. light. And that's someone who's not going to be expected to be a go-to scorer because I don't think that that is Kuzma's role. Maybe more of a microwave scorer at times, yes, but to not force the issue. He had one game where I think he shot four of five from the field in the first half, and it was like really good. No, it was four nine. But anyway, it was watching the game. You saw him make shots. Like, okay, Kuzma, there you go. He's aggressive. And then you look at the numbers at the end, and he finished with like 11 points on 11 shots. And you're like, oh, well, you know, a few of those shots could have been turned into passes. Maybe he could have been a little more patient there. Um, That's one thing that Kuzma will have to work on. Miami will definitely make it interesting for him on that end. So I would like to see how they work with Kuzma there or how Kuzma adjusts and whether he can play within himself, make the right reads know when to shoot, know when to be aggressive, know when to cut, and have the right connection with his Lakers teammates or whether he's going to get on the floor, immediately succumb to the pressure of the moment, start jacking up ill-timed shots, play horrible defense. He played some rough defense in the Western Conference Finals. Michael Porter Jr. took the man's lunch. Even in Game 5, there was a couple of plays where he was just pump-faking all over the place. No, it was Game 4. Pump-faking all over the place, just just going up and going around. And it was like, why? Just, Just... Settle your feet. You're not playing happy figure. You're playing defense and focus. And so Kuzma can do it. We've seen him do it for many glimpses this season. Not many, but we've seen him do it for glimpses this season. We've had many solid games, you know. So 
if he can bring that, that's important. Other than that, for the Lakers off the bench, whoever of Dwight Howard or um, JaVale McGee is not coming off the bench, I am looking at to see what impact they bring if and when they come off um, to play on the floor. Markeith Morris is someone I see as well because if the Lakers do decide to go small ball to match up with Miami long term, let's say the zone defense for Miami is working really well and you know the small ball unit is, is putting a lot of pressure on the Lakers. Markeith Morris has played very well, someone who has knocked down shots, someone who's played decent defense, someone who will be a banger and, and play alongside AD in that way and that could be something that could work out well for the Lakers' favor. Rondo, to me, is the big key when he comes off the bench, being able to see what's going on the floor, being able to, you know, read and react to to the Miami Heat's defense and and how they're playing, and whether that's alongside the floor with LeBron and AD or without, is going to be important. And then last but not least, I think, for the Lakers at least, the X factor is, you know, having and making sure, I'm sure Vogel will, having one or or both, or or one at least, of LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor. Because half court, the Lakers have just been pretty awful. Um, especially with either of those guys on the floor as a focal point with which to direct the offense to, it can be pretty rough. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, for the Heat, will their outside shots continue to fall? Will Jay Crowder be able to to continue or, or to reclaim his shooting touch? Because the first two rounds of the playoffs, he was very good, and then the East Conference Finals, it fell off a cliff. At one point, I think he was five of thirty-six from three. It was pretty it was pretty awful, whatever it was. And if he's not making those shots, then that is someone that the you know the Heat or the Lakers can play off a little bit of kind of you know disregard him in that way encourage him to take shots because you know if he's hot he's hot if he's cold he's cold we've seen it happen before with him in boston and utah i mean the dude was shooting 29 percent in memphis and then came to miami was shooting 40 percent 40 plus percent over you know the remainder of the season until playoffs so the the regression to the mean what's going to happen it, it was bound to happen and, and right now is it happening the worst possible time or is there a way that crowder can reclaim that touch and and make it more um of a weapon for the heat and then Iguodala, playing defense on LeBron is going to be something. Can he bring any type of offensive energy as well? He went 5-for-5 five five from the field, 4-for-4 four four from three, and the Heat's closeout game of the Celtics. You may not see that again against the Lakers, but can you have moments where, you know, he will take shots and make shots as well for the Miami Heat? And, and that's something that's going to be interesting. So taking all that into effect, the X Factor, the intangibles, the hustling, the rebounding for the Lakers, the scrappiness for the Heat, the well-coached, team that they've been, the fact that they won't back down, which I'm going to say real quick, I don't see that as anything that is uh, a win one way or the other. Because yeah, you could say that the Blazers bowed out, right? You could say that the Rockets gave up or, or, or were afraid, but the Nuggets weren't. The Nuggets weren't in any of those games. And the Lakers still took them down four games to one. So at a certain point in time, I could play Uno, I could play Tic-Tac-Toe, I could play I don't know with the biggest, baddest kid on the block, and I may not be scared, but if I take that L, I take that L. Scared or not scared, right? So... I don't get it. Oh, yeah, they're going to play a team that's not going to back down. Congratulations. That's great. I'm glad the team has respect in their abilities and that if they go down, they go down. But if they go down, guess what happened? They went down. Speaking of that, let's get to my prediction, which I think I'm going to take the Lakers in six. I think the Heat indeed will go down. Uh, bottom line, I just think you look at the top eight players between both teams, and while the Heat may have way more of those eight players, the Lakers have the first two. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, then I look at Bam Adebayo. Then I look at Jimmy Butler. Then I take four or five Heat role players. Then I take Danny Green. No. Then I take Rajon Rondo. Then I take Danny Green. So yes, even though the Heat may have more spots between four and eight, the Lakers have number one and number two, and I think that will be the difference. LeBron James has been on a mission. I think he will reclaim a win over his former team. I think the Lakers will, you know, reclaim their mantle as the best team in the NBA. 
with the 17th title, which will just be crazy. Frank Vogel finally gains the mountaintop. Dwight Howard finally gains the mountaintop. Rajon Rondo winning one with the Celtics and the Lakers. Kyle Kuzma winning a ring. Markeith Morris, JaVale McGee, J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters against his old team, Quinn Cook. I, I, I just see this happening. Danny Green, back-to-back, two different teams. How crazy is that, right? I just see that happening. Miami Heat are not going to go down without a fight, of course. They're not going to be, quote-unquote, afraid. They're not going to bow out like that. But ultimately, I think that the Lakers just have superior talent and more desperation at this point to close out Miami. And it remains to be seen. It's going to be a very interesting matchup. Again, this starts tomorrow. Tomorrow night on ABC. I am anxious to check that out. But I will take the Lakers in six games over the Miami Heat. LeBron James, come get your ring. We'll be right back, boys and girls. All right, we got some news. Let's get that new NBA news. Well, this actually isn't new, but it's something that happened recently, and we're going to go down to cold old Minnesota. Yes, we're going to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Why? The draft season? Nope. Carl Anthony Towns? Nope. D'Angelo Russell? Nope. What are we talking about then? We are talking about one Malik Beasley. Yep, that's right. The shooting guard that came over in the trade from the Denver Nuggets, who set fire on the earth in his short stint with the Timberwolves before the end of the season was recently arrested on Saturday and is facing felony weapon and drug charges. He was released from custody, and I'll be sure to share more news as I get it, but it's really just an unfortunate situation and one that may impact Beasley's financial situation in a free agency market that is already severely limited with everything else that's going on. So that's something to pay attention to. There's reports he was waving a gun around. You know, they went inside and he had marijuana and other, other drug issues. I don't want to get too deep into specifics as a general analysis of what happened um, at least what's been reported, but I'm sure there's more when it happens, when it, you know, when it'll come out. Uh, just in general, that's just unfortunate news to hear. Uh, just from a real life standpoint, uh, from a basketball standpoint, yeah, I mean that's definitely not going to help his free agency. You know, in a, in a in a in a off season where there was already so little money going around, and Beasley was looking for big money, and some of that was already going to be kind of pinched just because of the situ of the market. But now, I mean, you could have character issues, whatever the case may be. I could definitely see his. Uh, salary being pinched just a little bit more. So on that end, it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota reacts to that. They did put out a statement to see kind of where they go there and where Beasley goes from here. So, you know, we'll have to monitor that moving forward. Um, Doc Rivers. Yes, Doc Rivers, Los Angeles Clippers. Yep, remember the epic choke job they did where they lost the Denver Nuggets. They were up three games to one. They lost to seven. The news came out that uh, Doc Rivers was safe. Well, I guess safe was for like a week and some change because guess what? Doc Rivers is out. That's right. Over seven seasons, Doc Rivers finished 365 wins to only 208 losses. He would be easily be the best coach in Los Angeles Clippers history. He had the most wins. He had the most playoff appearances. He had the top winning percentage. But his team never made it past the second round of the playoffs, ever. And, you know, he had some good teams. Lob City teams, I get it. You know, they ran into some tough squads. You had the Thunder. You had the Memphis Grizzlies back then. You had a couple teams that, that could definitely... um and definitely did. The Rockets definitely did obviously put an end to the Clippers postseason plans. But in this season right here with Kawhi Leonard, with Paul George, a great um, uh, scoring uh, bench, guys, Marcus Morris chipping in, Jamichael Green, Montrose Harrell, all these guys, they were easily, easily expected to make it to the playoffs. I mean, not playoffs, the finals. The playoffs is an understatement. Easily expected to make it to the finals. And, and no sweat over a Denver Nuggets team. That, that shouldn't have been nothing, especially being up three games to one. And when they choked that, that must have been the writing on the wall because after seven seasons, Rivers announced in a statement that he is not returning as a coach. 
The move comes about two weeks after that whole 3-1 lead loss happened, and that's it. Uh, there was a statement by Steve Ballmer. Doc has been a terrific coach for the Clippers, an incredible ambassador, and a pillar of strength during tumultuous times. You do have to remember that he was very, very big for the Clippers during the Donald Sterling just fiasco that happened back in the day. Very big. And, you know, there's nothing to be... That, that cannot be stated enough. At the same time, that collapse was epic. He has rather underachieved with a pretty successful roster, even though he's done a lot of good for the Clippers. He spent seven seasons with the Clippers. He made the playoffs in six of them. That's a major success. Major success. But this right here was kind of rough. That was it. The franchise as a whole has never made it to the conference finals, and they've gone 0-3 in chance to get there this year. That was horrible. And and this wasn't even the first time this happened. This is the third time that a team of Rivers has wasted a 3-1 lead. <laughs> Stop me if you heard this before. It happened when they were up 8th seed, the Orlando Magic, a Doc Rivers coach team against the top-seeded Detroit Pistons way, way back in 2003. And then who can forget the Clippers losing to the great, the glorious Josh Smith and Corey Brewer and Houston Rockets back in 2015. You just can't, right? Exactly. Uh, Rivers did say on September 15th after the Game 7 loss that we didn't meet the expectations. That's the bottom line. I'm the coach, and I'll take any blame for it, but we didn't meet the expectations clearly. Guess what? It seems that he did take the blame for it, right? <laughs> he did. And, and some of that was his own doing. Some of that was his own doing. He didn't make great rotations. He relied on Montrezl Harrell way too much, especially when Montrezl Harrell shown, showed that defensively he was going to give you nothing there. You know, he should have played Jamal Green more. Uh, you know, there's some easy rotations and, and, and coaching minutes distribution decisions that should have been done, especially if a coach of Doc's caliber, and that weren't done. And at the end of the day, when you lose as devastatingly as you did, that's something you have to answer for. And that is what ultimately happened to Doc Rivers. So, disappointing. But it did happen. Uh, remember, just recap, Clippers were 49-23. They have the fourth best record in franchise history. And it's a shame that it ended this way. In six, uh, in five of the six best regular seasons for the Clippers, Rivers has been the coach at the helm. So with that, just stepping out on a, on a, on a more holistic view, the Clippers' job is now the sixth coaching opening in the NBA. Remember, you have the Houston Rockets, the Indiana Pacers, the Philadelphia 76ers. Oklahoma City Thunder, and New Orleans. New York, Brooklyn, and Chicago have already filled their holes. So you still have those spots open. And also, from just uh, my own standpoint, that's very interesting, I think, Rivers now leaves the NBA with only four black coaches currently with jobs. You have Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta, J.B. Bakerstaff in Cleveland, Dwayne Casey in Detroit, and Monty Williams in Phoenix. And Rivers is the third black coach to either step down, quote-unquote, or be fired this offseason. Nate McMillan was out the door after the first round in Indiana. Alvin Gentry before the season ended or just after the season ended with New Orleans. So I don't know what to say about that. That's something that's to be looked at, especially a successful coach like Rivers. I'm not saying that Rivers has to stand for that because, you know, if you do a bad job, you deserve to meet consequences. But in general, I think that's interesting, especially when looking at coaches like Nate McMillan or like um, Alvin Gentry, who had situations that had nothing to do with their coaching ability with major injuries and still took the fall for that. I just got to point that out. It just doesn't sit right with me. I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know it yet. If someone can tell me, I'd be grateful for it. At Corbin NBA on Twitter, check it out. Let me know. But these types of issues are, are, are troubling. Four. Four black coaches. Lloyd Pierce, J.B. Bakerstaff, Monty Williams, and Dwayne Casey. Think about that for a moment. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, you know, it sucks. Doc Rivers is sure to find a job. Philadelphia, I hear, is interested. Uh, I heard the New Orleans would be interested, so I guess that'll make five. 
coaches back, you know, in the NBA, I'm, I'm sure the, the status of the store, the equilibrium is there. That's great. But that's something that I was, I just thought it was interesting. It came out of nowhere, you know, especially when it seemed that he was safe heading in and all of a sudden he's not. So there you have it for that. But aside from that, let's talk about uh, games to watch if you've been sleeping. And I'll be quick. If you haven't been watching the WNBA playoffs, I would check that out. I really would. Uh, right now, the Connecticut Sun are going to be playing a do-or-die game tonight against Las Vegas Aces for the right to make it to the WNBA Finals where they will match up with the Seattle Storm. But their last game on Sunday, Game 4, was a very big game and really enjoyable. And a must-win game for the Aces against the Sun, guard Angel McCautry for the, for the Aces. Literally put the Las Vegas on her back. I was going to say put the Aces on her back, but I said Aces like 18 times. Put Las Vegas on her back with a huge 29 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, 3 steal game. Again, she had 29 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, and 3 steals, including 16 big points in the third quarter. And really, in that third quarter, she was playing a game of how you want it. You want the 3-ball? I'll give you that. You want me to go coast to coast and lay it up? I'll give you that. You want jumpers all on your head? I'll give you that. And she was doing it all. 16 big points in the third quarter, took a deficit going into halftime for the Aces and led them to a double-digit lead going to end of the third quarter. That helped tie the series up and set a do-or-die game five for the trip to the NBA Finals. So check that out on ESPN tonight. And in general, if you want to watch that classic game four, WNBA League Pass is very, very cheap, y'all. Like, seriously, if just to support good professional, just good basketball in general, check it out. But it's super cheap. Look at that. And if not, definitely go to YouTube for the highlights. Either way, make sure to check that game out. I don't really got anything on Twitter fingers. What I've been reading or watching is really any um, NBA Finals previews I can get my hands on. Uh, actually, stay close because uh, Duncan Dynasty, a podcast I am a, co- a co-host of alongside uh, um, my friend, great friend over here. I'm about to say the name of our guest. I cannot do that. But Garrett Bouguet, we have a special guest who I will not let you know. Um, but when you listen to it, I-, I think you're in for a treat. That's all I got to say. We're breaking down the WM- oh, the WNBA Finals. We're breaking down the NBA Finals from all angles. That will be something to pay attention to. That will be something to listen to in the future. But what I'm reading or watching, like I said, any NBA Finals previews I can get my hands on. And aside from that, not a whole lot. Um, I- Okay, random note. There is a book by a, a, a gentleman named Richard Liu who's a scout. Uh, you know, he's done a, a lot of uh, basketball analysis. He puts out these uh, NBA almanacs every season. And so I was reading uh, this recent one, the NBA Draft Almanac 2020, because one, on this podcast, we got to start talking about the NBA Draft and the prospects there. But he gives off-season uh, outlooks, previews of kind of what teams should do, what they probably will do. And then he also does the, the back half of the book as, you know, scouting prospects on each of uh, any, any draft eligible M- NBA player or any, or any college player that is eligible to go to the NBA and talks about their future and, and kind of where they're at and, you know, what they can do there. So that is um, that is a lot of fun. I've been reading that as well. And then I'm reading a book called Those Across the River. It's a fiction book. None do a basketball, but you know, I thought, why not? Let me share it with y'all. It's my life. NBA Today. Thought y'all wanted to tune in and listen to that. But aside from that, before we close out, playoff MVP, I mean, it's it's LeBron James this week. And honestly, I mean, it was LeBron James last week. We'll see at the end of this week, you know, with a couple finals games uh, in the books. But his 10th NBA Finals. I've covered this, you know, talking about LeBron initially, but his greatness is, is, is so great. I mean, it bears repeating. Put the Lakers on his back. Huge game five against Denver. 10th NBA Finals. Uh, just a guy that teams just scheme around as a unit. And here he is 
on the cusp of playing in his 10th finals again in his 17th season at age 35. I mean, I could throw out all these random stuff, but like when you take it all into account, LeBron James is just a monster. He, as, as I, I don't agree with him very often, but Kendrick Perkins said an amazing point. LeBron James and Michael Jordan are sitting at the same table. Like, there is no who's better. They both right there right now. They both right there right now. And and that's exciting, and that's cool. And I think you have to give a shout-out to LeBron for that. And with that, that's all I got, y'all. Thank y'all for chilling with me during an extra-long edition of NBA Today, Playoff Edition, NBA Finals Preview Edition. I appreciate y'all. Stay cool. Stay frosty. Check me out at CorbinNBA. Check out hoopball, hoop-ball.com, on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Enjoy the WNBA Playoffs. And I will catch y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.